I'm Trudy Kerr and welcome to The Interviewer. In this series, I'll be talking to artists, campaigners, men and women of influence, musicians, performers, sportsmen and women, politicians, businessmen and women and anyone who shapes the fabric of our society. Joe Caruana is an actress, a producer, a presenter, a comedy actress, a writer, an editor, a journalist, a communicator, a businesswoman and owner, an informal ambassador of animals, an outspoken woman with thoughts on all things about Malta and much, much more. Joe, what have I missed? Nothing. Was I that think good? Was that good? I, I think that was I think that was yes, thank you. I wow. <laughs> When I put it like that, it sounds like you do do an awful lot of things. Yes, I don't do them all at once, you see. <laughs> um, so there is still time in the day. Um, but yeah, no, you are right. Those are all things I'm very passionate about. And it's, uh, it's nice to hear them lined up like that. Of all the roles that I mentioned, which would you say defines you best? I think right now, businesswoman, I... I'm so passionate about business, my own and other people's businesses right now, and the power and importance of good business, that that's what resonates at the moment. But I do love all of those things. I identify with all of those things, and they all play very important parts in my life and in my role as a businesswoman. So you just said that right now, that's what defines you, being a businesswoman. Does that mean that previously maybe a year ago two years ago 10 years ago your description or those lists of things would have been different completely different and yes I think I've really learned you know it's the cliche isn't it to enjoy the journey I think I was always looking for a destination and then very recently and especially because of covid I think I've come to terms with the fact that we are just on this magical mystery tour and we don't quite know where it's going to take us. And we just have to enjoy all the different aspects of it. And right now, yes, I'm very settled in this role of, of business, businesswoman. Um, but as you said there, you know, actress, performer, comedian, I, I smile when I think of all those things, because right now I'm not getting to do any of those things, partly because of COVID, but partly because of other reasons. Um, and they're just not, I'm not in that headspace at the moment. But I have su such fond feelings towards all of those things, and they will come back at some point, but right now they don't even sort of feature, unfortunately, but also fortunately. Well, of course, you just mentioned back there, because, of course, we have had COVID, which has mm -hmm. meant that the arts have really suffered. Mm -hmm. uh, I had Chris Dingley on the show a while back, mm -hmm. and he was talking about what it's like to be an actor with no work and no, n no scale of when that might happen. But, of course, you mentioned there that you've, been able to utilize the COVID time to push another avenue. So does that mean talking about that and talking about in the perspective of this life's magical journey, does that mean that perhaps in the future it might take you somewhere else or you are pretty settled in what you're doing right this minute? Definitely not. I mean, I love what I'm doing right now. It sounds again really silly to say, but at the moment with what I'm doing right now, there isn't a single day when I don't leap out of bed in the morning really excited about all the, ex you know, all the things that I'm privileged enough to get to do. But definitely not. There will be something different sooner, later, who knows? I've become really excited about the fact that you just don't know where you're going to end up. Who knows what's going to happen next week, next month, etc. Um, but right now, it's a really exciting time. Yeah, I feel, like I say, very privileged. Well, one of the things that I mentioned 
in that preamble describing who you are was a writer but mm. you've also been a journalist you are a communicator and you're a businesswoman but right now what we're seeing across the media is joe as a writer and guiding people to write and teaching people to write which is fantastic but in this age of media mm-hmm. with tiktok instagram facebook online news twitter is the is the art of writing rather irrelevant and lost what a marvelous question no absolutely not i think the art of storytelling is one of the key things we have one of the key things we share as human beings yes but you can tell a story on tiktok and you are and that's great and that's great you can tell a story in a million different ways and um and you need talent to tell a story on tiktok I have yet to tell a story on TikTok. <laughs> it's okay, because I've yet to tell a story on TikTok as well. In fact, I'm, I will not even go anywhere near TikTok, I'm afraid. Now, I have to say, I love TikTok, right? I, I have the you best... You do have I love TikTok. I think that TikTok... And, and again, I will caveat and say I love my algorithm on TikTok. I hate my algorithm on Facebook. It's like the world of doom. Whereas on TikTok, I've somehow... How did you make the world of doom happen, Joe? I know how I created the world of doom on Facebook because I was reacting to doom on Facebook. And I, you know, clearly five years ago, whenever I was really using Facebook, I was just liking everything that was... Donald Trump and, you know, despair and animal cruelty and all of these horrible things. So whenever I go onto Facebook, I'm depressed. Whenever I go onto TikTok, I have somehow curated a space of wonder of people who do these incredible things, talented, amazing people who've clearly spent 100 hours to learn a dance or do something. And I, I like that. I salute that. These are people that are at least showing off something that they're really good at. And that's amazing. But don't you think, I'm going to come back to you as a writer Uh and as somebody who generates valuable content, don't you think that TikTok and Instagram and Reels and so on are just a real waste of time? Excuse the pun. I see what you did there. Thank you. Um, Yes and no. No, I mean, they're creating valuable, interesting content that resonates with people. Really? It's mostly people twerking, surely? No. Ah, but no. I'm looking at the wrong algorithm. You are exactly (laughs) true. I encourage you to curate your algorithm. Um, No, seriously, there is some amazing stuff out there. And, um, you know, it's the same way that rubbish books will have been written. Rubbish TV shows will have been created. I love and hate social media in equal measure. Um... And I am not a fan of it. I'm not a big user of it. But I do, funnily enough, think TikTok has captured the attention of people who want to do good things in some ways. Okay, so if, you, if TikTok is a, is a goodie... It's not. I will caveat that with it's not a goodie. But I believe in it as a platform to encourage people to use their talents, put it that way. Okay. And I salute that. I'm going to put this into real basic terms then. If, if TikTok is on the side of goodie and Facebook in your eyes at the moment because the algorithm's <laughs> on the side of baddie. Where does Instagram fit? It's right in the middle, Trudes. <laughs> That's a bit of a sitting on the shelf answer. <laughs> I have a very happy algorithm on, on Instagram as well, except for some horrible animal cruelty stuff that I followed and now can't unfollow because I feel like you have to know it and I want to know. Um, but again, that is the incredible thing about social media, isn't it? And again, it's not great. We're being shown what we want to be shown. So we're living in this 
eco chamber of a space that is ours. And just because TikTok has been curated by me to be good and Facebook has been curated to be bad, it's really dangerous. It's really scary. Um, and obviously, that is why writing and content creation and journalism has never been more important. So that comes back to your original question that as journalists, as content creators, we have to get better at communicating in a way that mass audiences want us to communicate but you're talking about writing your niche and what you are taking out to market to to encourage people to do and to teach them to do is writing Mm -hmm. now way back when in the beginning of time when I was a small child we read books we didn't have we didn't even have the internet let alone mobile phones good times it was a very good time um but you went home and you read a book Mm -hmm. and I read books Mm -hmm. and you read the newspaper the Mm -hmm. printed newspaper albeit not so good for the environment but you had printed magazines that you would go to the shop and buy because you were interested in diving or you're mm-hmm. interested in chat women's chat and all this sort of thing so there was a huge space for writers mm-hmm. but we don't do that anymore surely well I think we do I think I I don't know about you I still read books I love reading books I love reading magazines and newspapers it's true I do do it a lot less I think people in general do it a lot less because we are absolutely enveloped by content at all times so it's a lot more competitive to get somebody's attention but again I think that's why writing more than ever is a craft you have to hone it you have to know your audience you have to know who you're speaking to and what it is they want to read and just get really good at doing that so one of the biggest things within the writing space at the moment is to niche make sure that you're not just writing general content but you're writing about something specific that you bring to the table as a writer one of the interesting developments in writing at the moment is AI there are some incredible software tools I've recently just tested one that's come out um and they write truths they properly write and one was sent to me I'm sorry and what say that again AI AI artificial intelligence um uh listeners because I saw a television show about this did you and it was a bit crap I understand it's not crap anymore and it's getting less crap by the hour however I recently tested this software. I went into it thinking, yes, sure, let me test your writing software. Ha <laughs> okay. And but after about an hour, I was almost shaking from the realization that 95% of the content out there now could be created by a robot because this robot is pretty clever. And is that good for us for Matt? No, mankind? it's not. It's not. I, I argue that it's not. What's been interesting about using the software and other software and, you know, understanding the trends of, of writing and humans are always going to be needed to tell a story and they're always going to be needed to bring new information to the table. That's my opinion. So this robot is incredible at going across the internet, trawling the internet, bringing information together and putting it together in a new way to present it as new content but it's not great at talking to somebody and getting a genuine story. It can't do that. It can't do it yet. Terrifyingly, it might be able to at some point, but it certainly can't do it yet. So that's why we come back to the sort of age-old idea of storytelling and focusing on telling human stories to one another. It's something that I still believe cuts through. I personally find artificial intelligence quite terrifying Mm. because I see that there are so many skills and creative jobs that we as human beings are not just good at, but we relish at. If that is then replaced by a substitute, that means we become redundant. Mm -hmm. Now, talk to me about the length of writing and the content of writing, because would you agree with the age of 
digital media that we've become lazy oh, as gosh. readers. And Absolutely. We, we can only digest small amounts of Tiny snippets, headlines at best. And again, that's very dangerous. It's been proven to us time and time again that people don't read the articles anymore. They just read the headlines. So if the headline isn't, you know, fully representative of the content, uh, maybe it's a bit ambiguous or it's a bit clickbaity, which means you click on it without, um, you, you know, they want to get your attention. It's really dangerous. It's what wins elections or loses elections and um, affects democracy. But so yes, you are right um, on all of those counts. I'm terrified of AI. I don't want to sound like I'm, you know, a big fan of it. But at the end of the day, it's coming in a big way. It's here. Um, it's not even anymore something that's ten years in the future. Robots that can create extremely good content, voiceovers that sound human, video, you give them a piece of video and within uh, five minutes they've repurposed it in 300 different ways to tell it. It's really scary. And I, I had a similar conversation with a professor at the University of Malta um, about, you know, what jobs are we going to be able to do? And the list isn't long. But I do think that the human to human connection will never be superseded by robots. I think there will be you know, AI is going to become a big part of our lives in the same way that the internet became a big part of our lives. But the human to human contact will never, will never not be critical to but our isn't happiness. That, isn't that exactly what we've learned from COVID? Yes. Because COVID has isolated us from other people. Yes. Um, I've not seen much of you over the COVID period. And it has been damaging or deconstructive to some relationships and other relationships, you just yearn to see that person, mm -hmm. to hug that person mm -hmm. and have that human connection. Mm -hmm. And that's what I'm hoping with mm -hmm. AI is that we realize we can't replace that and that COVID has exactly. taught us that. Exactly. So fully aligned with you there. That's exactly it. We've, we've realized how critical technology is to our lives. A lot of us will say we could not have survived the pandemic without technology from within the last 10 years. So thank goodness for it. But it has underlined this critical need for that human element in our lives. So I think going forward, we have to remember that because it's going to be tested. Joe Carawana, what's the last book you read? The last book I read is called Business Made Simple. It's a book by Donald Miller, who is one of my business mentors. Great book for anybody starting a business. Very bite-sized details of everything you need to do to get a business together. Really fabulous. What's the last fiction that you read? I am reading a book called The Note. And what's that about? It is about a woman who meets the love of her life on a train, I believe, because so far she's met him, but we don't yet know if he's the love of her life or just a man on a train. So these are two books that you've recently read, yes. which you absolutely adore. Yes. Tell me something. What is the difference between someone who can write and a writer? Well, most people can write. Um, I think a lot of people can string a good sentence together, can get information across. <laughs> Trudy is sort of uh, waggling her hand at me to, to sort of showcase. Is I'm this not true? entirely sure about that. Um, so, but a lot of people can, can string a sentence together. To be honest, writing is a lot like photography, like voiceovers, like all of those things that everybody thinks they can do until they actually have to do it professionally. And then they realize quite how much talent and hard work and persistence goes into it. So a lot of persistence people... Persistence in what way? I mean, surely you sit down and you just flow. 
Oh, sure, Trudes. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, writing is like anything that you want to be good at. It takes incredible practice. It takes consistent learning. Um, uh, it takes building a portfolio, understanding what you're good at, self-awareness, what are you not good at. It, under it takes learning that just because you're a good good at writing X doesn't mean you're good at writing Y because it's a vast you know, vast career. It's one of those things that, as I say there, you know, learning, you have to keep getting better at it. Just as you said earlier on in the show, you know, just because I wrote an article last year, 10 years ago, that's where I started my career as a journalist. Now I'm writing TikTok scripts and I'm writing, you know, bite-sized content for social media. Does that make me any less of a writer? Not necessarily. It just means I have to learn to connect with my audience in a different way. But to go back to that question of the difference between somebody who writes and a writer, I think a writer is somebody who is fully dedicated to the understanding that this is a bit of a lifelong thing. It takes a lot to be a professional writer. Well, you had someone comment on a post of yours recently who is a writer, and they mentioned that they had very much valued the contribution that they had, that you had brought to them. And they were writing a book and it, things were going really, really well for them and they were thrilled. Is writing a book something that Joe Carawan is ever going to do? Definitely. At some point. I've started several, but again, anybody who's a, a book writer will tell you that, the, 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 you know, it's not, it's not the actual writing of the book that's the difficult part. It's the getting the book over the line, actually finishing the book. I have huge respect for people that can sit down and finish writing a book. But yeah, I do believe I've got, I've had an idea for a book in my head since I was at university and it's still there and I think it could still just about be relevant. I'd lost 52,000 words of that book oh my when, a, when a computer died um so I've kind of never gone back to it It was too heartbreaking but there are others there are there are yeah there are lots of there's everybody's got a book in them truths it's whether they can actually as I say finish them I've started there you go yes I look forward that, to reading it no no I've started how many words have you got well, 35,000 but no truths that's no, no, a no, lot no that's it it's not really it's, it's exactly what you say you start and you lose momentum. Yeah, And it's then on really the weekend hard. when everybody else is, you know, you've got time to write, but everybody else is going out and they're enjoying the sunshine and the rest of it. Do you want to be stuck at home writing? Probably not. You would if it was sort of in your toes that you absolutely had to do it. You would do it. And I remember being in that place where I was doing that. In the same way that as an artist, you will go to rehearsals all day, weekends and late evenings and things. You know that, Trudes, you know, the stuff you absolutely have to do in your life. But it'll come to you. It'll come back to you. You'll get there. I wanted to change the subject for a second. We've, done, we've talked about writing, but obviously you are very well known as the face of one of the slimmer girls. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Mella. <laughs> I forgot the... Forgo <laughs> you, you can't remember the lines. You can't remember the catchphrases. I was like, which one am I? Away out, Mella. Because this is hilarious. Every year that Pia, Zamit, wonderful Pia, and I return to comedy nights and get back on stage, every year we turn to each other and go, but which one are you? And it's genuine. And we have a whole system of how we remember who does what and whatever. And how many comedy nights has there been? Eight? I think there have been eight. Thank you for saying eight, because I would have said seven, but I think there were eight. Do you miss being part of the comedy nights because whilst it only happens once every year at Christmas time, obviously we didn't have it last year. There were some different versions mm -hmm. of it and so on. But when I spoke to Chris Dingley, as I mentioned a while ago, he talked about the, I, when I asked him what was his favorite part of comedy nights, he says being with the crew. Mm -hmm. Do you miss it? Oh, all the time. It's a great crew, great 
close group of friends. Um, we really, really enjoy our time together. And yeah, definitely miss those guys. And it, this is the longest we've ever been apart, really. You know, it's true. We did have a, a small period of time together at Christmas, but it it wasn't quite the same. We were all, you know, masked up and couldn't do our usual ridiculous antics. <laughs> uh, so yeah, I I'm, cannot wait to get back on stage properly with those well, guys. Well, I was going to ask you, because you mentioned that your passion is now dedicated to your business, to what you're doing. Does that rule out comedy nights? I'm not going to lie, Truth. It doesn't rule it out, but it does make it harder. Your listeners may or may not know how much time goes into creating a show like that. It's, it's huge. It's all of our weekends, all of our evenings, you can just about hold down a job. And um, my business has gone in a slightly different direction since COVID because I'm working a lot in America now. So that means different hours and um, obviously not working in America. It does make it harder to commit to evenings and weekends, but we'd have to find a way, won't we? I think, I think a lot of us are in that position. We've had, you know, time has been filled with other things. It's had to be, I mean, artists have just struggled so much to survive. Everybody's had to be so resilient and, and resourceful with getting things together and, and sort of staying. Yeah, it, it will be interesting to see us come together. And, and do you know what? I think attention spans have changed a lot in the last 18 months. I wonder, will people be able to sit down and sit through a three-hour show as they did before COVID? I'm sure some will, Do but I think, think a lot of people... Desperate. No. We're desperate to get back. I think we're desperate to get back into the theatre, but I think it's going to be interesting, and I think we do have a, a year in, back in the theatre, two years back in the theatre, to understand how audiences have changed. Comedy Nights was created as a show eight years ago when times were different. And I'm sure in some ways it's going to be great fun to adapt to what audiences expect now. And um, I would suspect, but don't quote me, that time will be, will be one of them. Will people be able to sit for three hours the way they did before? Comedy Nights is based on looking at a lot of what's happened in Malta over the year mm -hmm. and bringing a satirical mm -hmm. view on it mm -hmm. and bringing that to an audience. Often very, very, very funny, mm -hmm. but very poignant as well. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had bad press from this? Have you ever had people coming after you because you may have spoken out against a politician or a leader or a contractor or a developer or any of these things I think I've been you know I've been lucky that not too many people have um attacked me personally but I know over the years the comedy nights have been attacked um I know over the years I've looked out into the audience to to see that people have been taking notes about what we're saying um and that has been scary because we didn't know what they were going to do with those notes um uh, but again I haven't personally felt particularly threatened um, but I know some members of the cast have been threatened over the, over the years. And I know so many artists are constantly threatened for their work. Um, and it's, it's devastating. It's, it's, it's shocking that that's the world we live in at the moment. It goes without saying that everything needs to be done to protect artists and, and the arts to be able to, to, um, you know, to speak truth to power. Because of course the arts have historically been a voice of the people when they're talking about something that is just not agreeable and not okay. But having said that, when I spoke to Roberta Metzola a number of weeks ago, she talked about the amount that she was attacked. And she said, you know, she's in a different position, but she just said, you know, you grow a thick skin mm -hmm. and you get over it. But I also asked her how that affects young women coming into that. And I'm wondering if, if even the thought of being outspoken 
Because you're outspoken not just in comedy nights, you're outspoken on social media as well, whether it comes to the way that animals mm -hmm. are treated or whatever. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, I think we are so often conditioned mm -hmm. not to speak out. And as she rightly said, if we don't speak out, then the perpetrators have won. She's right and you are right. Um, it is a difficult line to walk, isn't it, between sort of having your quality of life but also wanting to make a difference. Um, I know sort of over the years, I remember during the um, the referendum on hunting, that was one of the, the scariest times in my life. I, I sort of, you know, came out against um, spring hunting and um, I actually had to have pr police protection outside my house until a couple of weeks after the election it was it was really frightening and it was really unnecessary um uh, for, for it to be taken to that level pure bullying that's all it is pure bullying and you're right it is unacceptable I think as a woman you feel even more threatened um and I'd be lying if I didn't say that I have now tried to walk the line between wanting to have a quality of life where I don't feel as threatened um, but also finding ways to still speak out and still make a difference. We're going to wrap up. But I'm so happy to be hanging out with you. We're going to wrap up with one last question that we, we talked about. And you've mentioned so many times about this opportunity for you to refocus and change your direction. Mm -hmm. uh, and the COVID season, as we've just said, has been tough on so many people, particularly mm -hmm. actors and people in the arts, uh, beyond just the normal challenges that they face. I know, as we've just said, that you took the opportunity to extend and grow your business and move into new regions and new continents and new areas outside of that, but maybe even including that. My last question is, what do you take away from COVID-19 pandemic, both the opportunities and the challenge? So when COVID hit, I lost 95% of my projected income for the for the year. We were on track to have a, a great year as a company. We were just growing. We were starting to grow. It was going to be a great year. And then that was it. It was all gone. Um, and it was absolutely terrifying. And I, I went to bed for a few days and sort of lay in a dark room thinking, gosh, you know, everything I've worked for over the last 15 years is, is just going to disappear. But that was when I feel like I got off the hamster wheel for the first time in, in 15 years since I started. I've loved my career, but it's been non-stop since I started. Um, and that was the first time. And again, I come back to that point of learning. I, I read, I don't know how many books, I listened to so many podcasts. I, I got newly certified in things I would never have had time to do. And the whole world opened up. And I have never been so excited as I am now of the incredible opportunities that we have. Um, I always thought, I, I'll be honest and say that on occasion, Malta has felt like a limiting factor being based here. I love living in Malta, but it has felt like a limiting factor. For me, for my career, that's gone. My clients in the US and wherever, they don't even care. They don't even ask where we are. And that is thanks to COVID. That would never have happened. And sort of I say that to other, you know, business people, there are so many opportunities and we can compete on a global level and it is so exciting. I guess the challenges are that, you know, competition is, is rifer than ever. Um, uh, it's going to be a very busy few years trying to find our space and, and sort of get back to, to whatever life is going to look like after the pandemic. But I'd be lying if I didn't say I was really excited. I think now at this point, there's so much positivity that we can bring to to business to ideas to things that you want to do I would never if you'd said to me 18 months ago most of your clients are going to be stateside I'd have said what why what no way forget it they don't need me so to have 
been shown that that is possible, believe me, anything is possible. But that's your work life, and that is a very, very exciting story. That is your business, and that's incredibly exciting. But on a personal front, what have been the opportunities and the challenges? Well, I got to marry my lovely husband. He was based in Japan um, before COVID, and then he got stuck here, which was nice, because it turns out we actually like one another, even when we're on the same continent. Quite a good bonus. Yes, it was a bonus. Um, We've done some crazy things like buy a boat um, that we are now living on. And I think I have got much better for the first time in my life at balancing. I am now addicted to free time and, you know, time with friends, time with Bruce, time with Pip, my dog. You know, I am so protective of that time now, much more than I was before. Um, And I've learned a lot about myself, what makes me tick, what I need to do to be my best. And I've made peace with all of that. And um, it's all good stuff because it then reflects into the business side as well. That's absolutely brilliant. Joe Caruana, I want to ask you to do one last thing for me. Is it a dance? You can dance if you want, but the listeners can't see it. And aren't they lucky? Yes, I'm going to go with that. I would like you to say farewell for us as one of the Salima girls, if you can remember what it is that you would actually say. (laughs) Nella. So let me tell you what we're going to do is wrap up and it's been lovely Trude to be here in your studio and it's very nice and thank you one and all to the listeners. 